Welcome to the Lions Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Monday evening teaching. I'd like to uh, welcome people that uh, have been here, uh, are here from afar. Uh, glad Michael's still here from San Pancho and Tendon. Um, teaching uh, San Pancho before too long. Michael's not going to book any reservations until I have the plane ticket, but <laughs> I will be there. So he's doing good practice, and I'd like to support him. Also, I'd like to welcome a family member, uh, Brooke from Seattle. Yeah, so great, you're here. Yeah. So. I'd like, I will be teaching in Seattle too at some point, maybe next year. <clears throat> so, Sacramento's in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The tourist season is starting, right? The tourist season is starting in November. It's just now getting started. They're yeah. Anticipating. The weather is getting yeah. a little cooler. Mm. The rains are stopping, supposedly. Well, maybe next month. Easy. Good. So, welcome. Mm. So, being very traditional, wrapping the text in brocade, like that. gave people an extra month to read Ocean of Reasoning. Was that enough? <laughs> or too much? Like, <laughs> okay. Monastic style, the training programs uh, start with the two so-called lower schools, the Vabhashikas and the Sutrantikas. The, the particularists are the Vabhashikas, and the Sutrantikas are the followers of the sutras. These schools don't really exist independently anymore. Some scholars believe there were maybe 18, 20 or more definable lineages and schools within a hundred years after Shakyamuni's Parinirvana. There's still a lot of schools of Dharma. We belong to the Vajrayana school. So that means we study everything. Not just the tantras, we study everything. We want to be omniscient. Is that okay? We want to know everything. 
the Babashikas um, are much like the present like mindfulness movement of today, somewhat like the Theravada school of today, where there's the denial of a permanent uh, personal self, but that there is some assertion of how the world is, and the world is made up of like atom-like things that uh, really exist out there. It's just they don't make up a self. The Satrantikans are similar. They emphasize uh, very strongly in permanence nature of things, like very strangely, the minute something appears, it disappears. Maybe that's scientific now. What do you think? But in the monastery, we'd first study that, those two schools, before we go on to um, Uma or Madhyamaka. Uma means middle, like Uma Thurman. Who names their kid Uma? You know, well, it's the same guy that named his son Gondon. <laughs> Robert Thurman, of course, right? Gondon uh, is the Tibetan for the for Tushi to heaven, right? Where Tsongkhapa is emanated from Tushi to heaven, like Maitreya. <clears throat> I'll be sending out questions for those that will be doing the essay. <clears throat> Pretty much the same format, but they'll be slightly different. I've enjoyed people's essays and then the follow-up questions to the essays been good. If you still need to finish Osana of Reasoning, what's today? 23rd? Fall equinox, right? <laughs> Maybe you could say you have one more week. At least read the outline and the summary. I'm going to read some of the summaries for you just so it's also an oral transmission. Because all these texts actually are meant to be uh, oral transmissions. <clears throat> so they're important. So when people say, well, you're just reading texts, we say yes, but actually the texts are meant to be oral transmissions, so they're worth listening to because they're similar to the words of the Buddha. <clears throat> I like wearing uh, this shawl, this Zen, because then I think, oh, I'm still on retreat. That's good. We had a nice, very good one-day retreat at Lotus View. Did people, li people like one day? Okay. We'll do it again then, right? Hmm. If you're wearing... Um, if you're wearing uh, a shawl... As a householder, yogi, householder yogi is supposed to have the tassels like this. Do you have tassels? You've got to get tassels. Just ri rip them a little bit. <laughs> huh? You got to, you know, like you just cut them a little bit, thread, and then you kind of like twist it together like that. You know, you kind of rip it a little bit. So. It's kind of official. 
not a big deal, but, you know, <laughs> it's just, it, this is nice. We're going to do it. We have to remember, okay, you know, this is, we're, we're, we're doing it like this. I don't, I don't know why there are tassels, particularly on household or yogi things. <clears throat> but uh, the monastic ones are always, um, you know, cleanly um, sewn or something. Maybe it's because um, the monastic tradition, you have to really look sharp, but they didn't care what, the, what householder yogis looked like. I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Uh, I always got a lot of um, instruction, meaning criticism, <laughs> and support around wearing robes. So, to look just just right. So, at the monastery, the monastery I had to wear like it's funny. Like each one's a little different. I'm a little rebellious, rebellious right? So, the monastery I had to wear the robes of a tulku. And then now I have robes of uh, uh, Mongolian lama, right? With the blue, like this. And then sometimes I'm wearing more uh, Tibetan robes, right? You see me not regular. But I'm a little bit rebellious, so like the, uh, I'm not wearing the tonga, which is really monastic with the blue thread on it, like that. But I'm wearing a shirt that's very cargo. <laughs> so, so I have the one with the buttons, you know, like that. Um, and my shanap, the, the skirt, though, doesn't have the patches that you'd see in monastic, right? So it's just, just plain, you know, no, no patches. Because in India, you'd know it almost exactly, just like we know, like, that person's not from Sacramento because they dress nice, you know, or something. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. No, no, we dress nice here. We do. They're from the city, you know. No, it's like... <clears throat> so the, the point is, there's, there's a whole bunch of different robes we can wear, right? You know, uh, but uh, there are... They exist that way through what? Mere designation, right? Just, just through, well, that means this and that means that, right? <clears throat> the Buddha was famous for saying, maybe all along, but definitely at the end of his life, I, I am free from all views. The Buddha has no views. No views. This doesn't mean and that the Buddha has no views, but really has the view of nihilism. No, the Buddha has no views. <laughs> what about the Dzogchen view? Doesn't even have that. Yeah. Can uh, take on the view, right? So just like we put on clothing or robes, can say, now I'm, I'm speaking from this point of view, right? So what I want the students here to get uh, to be professional bodhisattvas or just professionals 
is to understand that uh, we we consciously take on a view for skillful way, right? To help ourselves help others. But like clothing, we don't cling to it. So we could say to some people, you know, it's important to talk in this way from a Bhashika point of view. Or it might be important to talk from Yogacara point of view. It might be ta- important to talk from Mahamudra point of view. What's, what's the most helpful, right? What, given the situation, is, is the right thing to say? Because all the teachings are to a certain time, a certain place, and a certain person. Like, we don't even maybe have to say the whole Heart Sutra. We could just say, ah. <laughs> don't you always say that anyway? You get into your hot tub at home and, ah. <laughs> so, are you saying the Heart Sutra or are you just, you know? So, <clears throat> we understand when we take a view. Consciously, we understand from what point of view we're speaking, we understand who we're speaking to, we understand the time and the place, because uh, we're practicing uh, Kala Chakra, in other words, the, the right time, the right place. So sometimes it's appropriate to give teachings from so-called lower schools, because we have to hear them at that time. Sometimes it's appropriate uh, actually to say nothing. The Buddha was called Shakyamuni because a lot of times he said nothing. I'm sure a bunch of times people went there and it was a very short lecture and he wouldn't answer the questions at all. So we want to, to be free of all views means that we use the views consciously. That's the same way in basic mindfulness practice when the Buddha in the suttas would say, you know, like the sutta on mindfulness of breathing that Thich Nhat Hanh made very popular. We, we know we're doing a long breath when we're doing a long breath. We're mindful of a short breath when we're doing a short breath. Right? We're mindful of a feeling when we're having a feeling. We're mindful of a mental state when we're having a mental state. We're mindful of a truth when we're having a truth, right? That's just like that. <clears throat> Jay Garfield went to a lot of work to translate this. So uh, this is how teachers do Buddhist guilt. Jay went to a lot of work to translate this, and you're not going to read the whole thing. Tsongkhapa went to a lot of work. And how would you like to write all this stuff down? And, you know, you'd have to dip your pen into a little ink every time, and just, you know how long that took? And then, can you believe, like, there would be, like, wood blocks? Has anybody ever seen, uh, you know, the woodblock, Tibetan woodblocks? What's distinctive about using woodblocks to print? Well, they have to be carved. 
What's important to know about the carving of a woodblock? It's reversed. Yeah, you know, it's like, that's why, like, traditional teachers just, they lose their kimchi, you know, if you leave the book on the ground or something, because it's still, they're treating it like, you know. Can you imagine what it was like when Marpa came back finally on his last trip, seeing Naropa and Maitripa, and he was it was in Tibet already, and he got in one of those silly little boats made out of the yak skin or something that has no rudder, and he had all these texts, Chakrasamvara, Guya Samaja, Mahamudra, and the sucker tipped over. Don't think he took it entirely with equanimity. You know, like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, let's. Yeah, there was a lot of memorization because that was the traditional way to study. Is right after the talk, right after the sutra they'd just go back and start repeating it over and over until they got it. So it wasn't like only Ananda was remembering it and the rest of the people going out for a cigarette. You know, they, they, were, they went back and they just repeated it over and over like that. Amazing, right? <clears throat> so <clears throat> at least we the outline and the summaries. But you you won't get the full without reading his interesting, meandering way of talking, right? So I'll read out a few summaries for you so you get somewhat of the oral transmission or I can start from the very beginning and we can be here till sometime next Friday. So this is from <clears throat> the chapter exam- toward the end ex- examination of the four noble truths. When it, of course they're all important but one of the most important. Are you ready? When the Madhyamika shows that not even the slightest phenomenon related to samsara or nirvana exists essentially, our opponents argue that according to our system, the entire framework of mundane and transcendental phenomena makes no sense. In response to this, the present chapter explains things as follows. There is not even the slightest particle that withstands analysis through the arguments that examine and reject true existence. Therefore, while the opponent's system contains errors that make it impossible for him to assert this exists and this does not, not only do we not commit those errors in our own system, but this entire framework makes perfect sense. The main point is that the meaning of emptiness is dependent origination, but emptiness does not mean the negation of things such as action and agent. Thus, one who's discerning and aspires to subscribe to the Madhyamaka system should think in this manner. The reificationists, 
that's the dirty word. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real English word. The reificationist presses hard, saying, according to your system, the entire framework of the mundane and the transcendental makes no sense. One should not rush into a place in advance before the other one pushes. By saying that according to our system, we cannot say that we cannot set any framework within which one could say this exists and this does not exist. This is the commentary in the 24th chapter having 40 verses called The Examination of the Four Noble Truths. So a frequent criticism, of course, of the Madhyamaka is like, um, your system means that you know the way you set up the system uh, first of all makes no sense, but if you were making sense according to your own system, you couldn't say anything, right? So he's trying to say, no, actually, because we assert our way of using language because we assert dependent origination, that's why we can say something that makes sense. Now you'd have to go back and and look at the you know look at that twenty four chapter to see well how how does he really get there? How does he defend that argument? You could pick one chapter for the essay and like just zero in on it. The summary on nirvana is fairly easy. One should ascertain that if things exist essentially, such things as the abandonment of that which is to be abandoned and the attainment of nirvana would not be possible, but they are completely tenable according to the position that everything is empty of essential existence. So in this system, the Garjuna system, as interpreted by Tsongkhapa, it is because nothing has an essential existence that we can make progress in the path, that we can leave samsara and attain nirvana. at the end and then we get to take a break it's called the examination of views all of those who belong to the family of the supreme vehicle urgently driven by great compassion they have cultivated are steadfast in this attitude. Quote, I will relieve all suffering sentient beings who are suffering from any of the three kinds of suffering and will lead them to complete enlightenment. Unquote. For this purpose they cultivate aspirational bodhicitta that is the aspiration to attain unparalleled enlightenment with firm resolution at the beginning seeing that without the practice of the six perfections of the bodhi, perfections of the bodhisattva 
this resolution cannot be fulfilled, they undertake engaging bodhicitta through the perfect rites and thus take up the great burden of training in the practices of the sons of the victor. Seeing that the principal practice for those for whom the training in the six perfections is the heart of the practice is the middle way path that abandons the two extremes, they seek the perfect view of the final reality of things, the definitive meaning, just as it has been established by the arguments presented in Master's text, which we have explained above. Okay, now we have, this is important, next paragraph. Having obtained that and having seen that without mental quiescence, mental quiescence is the translation for what? Anybody? Shamatha. Having attained that, having seen that without mental quiescence, even though one has developed the view of the way things really are, the afflictions cannot be subdued. They strive to achieve the practice of mental quiescence and they exert effort in meditation on the perfect view. Again, having obtained that and having seen that without mental quiescence, even though one has developed the view of the way things are, the afflictions cannot be subdued without mental quiescence. So these people strive to achieve the practice of mental quiescence and they exert effort in meditation on the perfect view. Therefore, the view that is established in this text should be cultivated through this kind of practice. All these stages are presented extensively in the great exposition of the stages of the path to enlightenment. The manner of seeking the view in order to find the definitive meaning referring to the final reality of phenomena is applied not only in the vehicle of the perfection of wisdom, but should also be applied to the tantric vehicle because with respect to the meaning of reality, there is no difference between the two Mahayana vehicles. So, uh, that's it. (laughs) Nothing more to say. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes people... um, you know, wrongly think that they can do um, ritual practices or sadhanas um, or study or good works um, and they can skip the shamatha practice and sometimes they even say uh, oh, Gelugs don't they just study, they don't practice well, okay, you have to you have to do this very difficult practice called shamatha. Does anyone think we can escape it? We can't. Sorry. If you're practicing correctly, which many people here are, it just means you have to do more of it. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, generally all the schools of of Dharma and Tibet really agree on the basic view. It's it's just like 
with with what we could say in a sense uh, with what mind are we realizing the view? What and that that's where uh, you know a lot of our practice will be going. We'll be examining different viewpoints of kind of so-called you know objective reality. When you're talking about phenomena, it looks like we're talking about a little bit of objective reality. Of course, we aren't, but you know, then what? It, what is what kind of mind? What kind of attention? What kind of consciousness do we need to generate in order to achieve, you know, understanding of emptiness both in sutra and tantra? So that that's where uh, it gets very interesting for me. I mean, it's already interesting, but you know, what what kind of special awareness do we have to generate? in the, uh, you know, particularly in the Gluck system, uh, we're going to put a lot of emphasis on, on generating Mahasukha, great bliss. Sometimes people think, oh, Tsongkhapa school is kind of moralistic and monastic. Um, I go, well, no, we, we also want to generate great bliss. It's true. <laughs> More shamatha, of course. In uh, some tantra systems, we're going to be talking about generating um, uh, clear light, right? So there's more emphasis a little bit on um, luminosity. So, just to be safe, we might as well say we're, we're generating empty, luminous bliss wisdom. But that sounds too much to say, doesn't it? <laughs> You'll take it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we can work on that. Yeah. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.